0: Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So a lot of you probably know that I spent my summer a few years ago driving for Uber. Now, I wanted to see what it would be like to talk to people without the proverbial collar on. As you can see, I don't actually wear a collar, almost ever, but most of my conversations with folks are in the church as a minister. We talk a lot about faith in one context or another, and people look to me for a certain degree of wisdom, whether I have any to offer in that given moment or not. And I guess I drove for Uber because I wanted to be someone else for just a little while. I wanted to make small talk with folks who don't know who I am, free of the assumptions that people make about the clergy, whether good or bad. I guess I just wanted to know what that felt like. So in the car, I made a point of avoiding any deep conversations about religion or politics or anything too serious. Where are you headed? How about the weather? Did you catch that game last night? Was there a game last night? I have no idea. I felt a little like an alien trying to imitate a normal human being, repeating phrases that I'd heard on television. I'd never really been very good at making small talk, but I decided I could practice with all of these strangers that were climbing into the back seat of my car. A truck driver from Uganda. Three groomsmen on their way to a wedding. An elementary school gym teacher with a hangover who confessed to a pretty wild night downtown. A pair of young women from Korea attending a mission conference at Wheaton College. A cleaning lady who had her three kids in tow, their arms filled with mops and brooms and buckets. A woman who quit her corporate job to open up a dog grooming salon. The lady who almost threw up in my car. A college girl who was plotting to blackmail her soccer coach after she got kicked off the team for drug possession. She'll get what's coming to her. She seethed in the backseat of my car. No judgment here. I'm just the driver. Just shooting the breeze. Not questioning your life choices or whether you ought to take responsibility for them, or wondering if your parents spoiled you with material things instead of love, or if you believe in God or forgiveness. Not pondering the unique challenges of today's youth, no sir, nor the pressures that lead to substance abuse or the internalized despair that comes with growing up in the 21st century, raised on social media, in the midst of various social upheavals and the shadow of ecological collapse. Nope, not gonna have that conversation. Not today, not my problem. But hey, kid, did you catch the game last night? Sometimes we avoid hard conversations with people. Like they always say, politics and religion are off the table unless you want things to get tense. And maybe an Uber isn't the best place for deep, difficult discourse anyway. But the church just might be, second only to late nights in your best friend's college dorm room. And confirmation that process is that conversation. It's where you get to explore everything from the nature of the soul to the meaning of life From the world's greatest challenges to philosophy's deepest mysteries. As the author of Douglas Adams once wrote, it is a place to talk about life, the universe, and everything. As he also once said, I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that I don't know the answer. Every year, after months of discussing this stuff, our confirmands write a paper that addresses some of these hard questions. What is faith? What can the church hope to offer people in the 21st century? Why do bad things happen to good people? And where do all those socks go after they disappear from the dryer? And it strikes me that these papers, while written in isolation, feel like the authors are having a conversation with each other. And reading them feels a little like being a fly on the wall, listening in. Faith is believing in the dark, one writes, when we may not have all the facts, but still know our truths. It's an almost indescribable trust, another replies. Yeah, you can have faith that your microwave won't explode, but the best kind of faith is faith in God. Your microwave won't be there for you during times of sadness. God will. Now, if I may interject, microwave hot dogs have been a great comfort to me on some of my darkest days. But she makes a good point. The things we put our faith in are what sustain us in hard times, and nothing can sustain us like a God who loves us. I feel like I can definitely see my family's faith transforming one student offers, writing about life in quarantine. We always do a little rhyming prayer before dinner, but now I see my parents taking extra time to pray. We attend the online services, and sit in my living room, singing aloud and bowing our heads. I, for one, believe in Zeus and Hades, another interjects. Ignoring this random declaration of ancient Greek polytheism, another young man gets back to the topic of worship. God calls on us to be a part of a faith community and not just an individual, one man says, because a community that shows love, kindness, and faith towards God and others, will be stronger than any one person alone. Yeah, Jesus was always around other people, another voice adds to the conversation. Maybe having faith in God means having faith in humanity, another replies, picking up that same thread. When someone saves a life, when a mother hugs her child, or when someone helps the homeless, these are acts of God. At this point, the conversation turns to the value of serving others, a natural progression from the abstract to the practical, where the rubber meets the road. If you're going to talk about being a good person, one young woman says, you should actually try to act like a good person. Actions speak louder than words. I try to work with feed my starving children when I can, another student replies. I've done it a couple times with church, but also with other groups, like my school and my figure skating group. I love going there and knowing that I'm helping so many kids survive and live a life where they can grow to be healthy and do great things. One young man who helped to purchase supplies for a family in Venezuela shares a new perspective on serving others. The effect that helping someone and showing kindness has is incredible, he says, This guy that I helped, when he gets in a better situation, he's going to help someone else. Then that person might help someone else, and so on. Now, if you really were a fly on the wall listening to all of this, you might begin to wonder if there isn't something out there that's bigger than yourself. And there probably is, because you're a fly. But are we really so different, you and I? Don't we also believe in a higher power, something bigger than each of us? I want to take a a detour from this lively conversation amongst our confirmands to talk about another conversation, one that is found in the book of Job. The book is essentially one long dialogue between Job and his friends, one that gets pretty deep and rather heated at times. As I said before, Job's lost everything, his family, his health, his livelihood, and Job feels like God is making him suffer without cause for no good reason. His friends, on the other hand, are convinced that Job must have done something to deserve all of this ill fortune and suffering because, well, according to them, bad things simply don't happen to good people. One of our students talks about an argument that he got into with two of his own best friends, not unlike Job. Admittedly, it was about baseball, so the stakes were a bit lower, but he speaks to the difficulty of having conversations when people just can't find a way to agree with each other. When I could see that neither side was going to change their opinion, he writes, I decided that we should respect that we had different opinions and move on to a different topic and try not to roll my eyes at them. Well, that's great advice most of the time. But sometimes you, you can't just change the subject. Job and his friends just could not let this question about suffering go because Job was actively suffering. For him, this was not abstract or theoretical. And the whole book of Job is a debate, an argument, an exploration of that timeless question of human suffering. Why does a good and loving God allow people to suffer in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Because unlike Job's friends would argue, they do. Now, the book of Job never offers any conclusive answers, resorting instead to a literal deus ex machina, God descending to remind everyone that there is indeed something much bigger than us, and that we could never hope to understand it all, no more than a housefly could comprehend the finer nuances of Shakespeare. But we asked our students to give it a try anyway. I truly believe that God challenges us with bad things in our lives to make us stronger, one of them offers. We aren't able to become better without negative experiences hindering our good lives. Hanging by a thread over the abyss, another muses poetically, where good and bad seem to coexist. This virus that we're all living with doesn't care about who it affects, a young woman chimes into the conversation. Good and bad people both get it. Is it fair that the healthcare workers get it when they're trying to help? It's an unlucky roll of the dice, so to speak, another replies. I'll let Bob Ross answer this one, his classmate says, referring to the famously cheerful painter. After his wife died, Bob Ross said on his show, if you have light on light, you have nothing. If you have dark on dark, you basically have nothing. Just like in life, you got to have a little sadness once in a while so you know the good times come. Other students in our confirmation class, take a different view on the matter, encouraging folks to pay more attention to the beauty in the world and not just the suffering. I find it sad that some people only think about the bad things in life, one young woman says, but they don't reflect on the greatness in life. Value the little things, another suggests. Value waking up to the alarm clock that feels like little knives poking in your ears because you get a fresh start. Value your little brother annoying you, like a fly that just hovers around your ear, buzzing. Because at least someone looks up to you. When it comes to understanding life's great mysteries, maybe we are all like flies on the wall, looking up to something bigger, unable to perceive things that are beyond us or understand the language of larger forces getting stuck in ointment or swatted down for reasons that we cannot comprehend. We asked our students to ponder these questions, but we never expected definitive answers to theology's most challenging paradoxes that have stumped people for centuries. No more than I can definitively answer them in this sermon or in any sermon. But the conversation itself is a sacred act. A sacrament, when it allows us to catch a glimpse of the bigger picture. I drove for Uber to get away from those kinds of conversations for a little while. They can be exhausting. But we come to church to have them. To talk about the things that are more important than the weather or the game last night. We may not always agree, and that can be hard, but in sacred conversation, we grow closer to one another and maybe a little closer to God, too. One of our students is a talented singer and songwriter, and she waxes lyrically about God and the journey of faith. Every day I ask the questions, but answers are tricky and hard to say. I'm on a fork in the road, and I have no idea which way I'm supposed to go, just to find you, but I know you follow me. That journey is indeed filled with winding paths and forks in the road, but we walk them together. To be confirmed is to express a willingness to continue the journey and to continue having the conversation, wherever it might lead.